Good evening. How many of you are feeling nice and tired? Put up your hand. Only a few honest people, that's good. That's bad, actually. You know, I was thinking of when Brother Vinoy's cell phone went off. I don't know. Do you, uh, you got a lot of calls. And uh, I remember once I was at the school and the headmaster told me that the kids were never, ever serious about the gospel. They laughed at the gospel. <clears throat> and so I came in there and I'd prayed for hours and I preached a very serious message to these children and they were actually listening. And the teacher was amazed because they never listened. And they were on the edge of their seats listening to this message. And then suddenly my cell phone rang. And I thought the devil is terrible. And so I looked at it and it was one of the godliest men that I've ever known in my entire life that phoned me. And so I figured maybe it's not so much the devils that I should have put my phone off before I spoke. <laughs> and um, it's interesting. We had some nice, I'm not going to go into the stories now, but I was thinking of some things that happened at Bible college years back. If you could open up your Bibles again to John chapter 4, I'd appreciate that. Uh, there was a young guy who preached at Moody Bible Church for Moody who came over from Europe and he preached on John chapter 3 verse 16, a different message each night for several nights and each message was very precious. And before we read them, before we pray, I'd just like to mention something. Oh, I hope I've not done something. I'd just like to mention something. And that is, uh, when I was at Bible college, we had Saturdays off. And I had a friend, like I mentioned before, his name was Glenn. And he was impossible and wonderful, and I loved him. Full of energy. Um, <laughs> I don't want to tell you all the stories. Uh, but one thing I remember is on Saturdays, we used to go to, we would do one of two things for almost two years when we were at Bible college. Every Saturday that was our day off, we would travel hundreds of miles to find prayer warriors, old people who were not famous preachers or anything like that, but they, they spent much time in prayer. And so we found them, uh, we drove to them, we had tea with them, we, we got their telephone numbers, we got their address, and we used to write them letters and build up a relationship with them. And often what we found was that there were famous preachers who were anointed, and hundreds of people would ask them prayer requests, and these old people, no one asked them prayer requests, and so you were their little person that they prayed for, and it was phenomenal how God worked. Another thing that was uh, we did mostly actually on Saturdays, that was sometimes, is we would go to a little village on a farm, and we would uh, try and preach to the little kids there. And almost everybody on that property um, that we went to of a few hundred people with their little houses, almost everybody uh, was drunk of the parents, and the children were hyperactive and probably had alcohol. Um, uh, <clears throat> I don't know what the word is, something syndrome. Fetal alcoholic, <laughs> alcoholic syndrome. It looked like they had all the symptoms, all of them, because they, their parents basically were working on a wine farm, and they got paid with wine through the years. And so they, when they stopped paying them with wine, they still got drunk all the time. It's a very interesting nation, this particular nation of our 11 different languages in South Africa, because they literally um, find it very easy to confess sins. And so where white people in South Africa and other places, you often sit down with them and they, they won't tell you what they've done wrong. These people will immediately stand up and say, listen, I murdered that person. I raped that person. I, I get drunk. I lie. I steal. All this stuff. And then they carry on doing it afterwards. 
They also all have repented, they call it. It's the same in America as people say they're born again. That was the day I repented, I bekeered, they will say. And I remember with my friend, before we went to this farm to, to witness, I remember going to the Bible and it said that we should, all power is given to me in, and in heaven and earth, and therefore go and preach the gospel to every creature. And after I saw this verse, I, we started to pray and we said, God, please lead us where to go. There's four million people in this area. There's all these different, we could go to the slums, we could go to farms, we could go uh, to the rich people's area, to the poor people's area. There's so many different nations we could go to. Where should we go on our Saturdays? And the more I prayed for God to tell me and tell my friend, the less God told us anything. In fact, we got no peace, we got no verse, we got nothing except that we're supposed to go out and preach. And so I took a map and I saw this farm there and basically chose that point, felt very unspiritual. And we came to this town and we started playing soccer with the kids and telling them Bible stories. And after a few weeks, the devil started to attack me and say, you know, you really didn't get peace. None of these kids are getting saved. Um, they might pray to get saved, but nothing happens in their life. They stay on doing the wrong things. The adults that you witness to carry on being drunk. Obviously, God did not intend you to come to this farm and you just in the flesh decided to go to this farm. Now, what I did not know is that there was a lady there out of all these hundreds of people who uh, was very depressed. Her husband was on the verge of divorcing her and she was suicidal and she was drunk and she believed she was a Christian, <laughs> uh, but uh, she felt like she was hopeless in life and, and she had a vision that two white people... <laughs> would come, and those two white people would come and tell her how to get set free. So here we are with no feelings, no peace, no verse, and there's a drunk lady who's about to commit suicide who's got this dream she had of two white people to come. She was having all the verses, and <laughs> in a sense. And when I was there, I remember we, we wanted to get people together to pray for revival, and my friend, he was a bit charismatic. He wanted everybody, all the drunks, to get together to pray for revival. And I had a big fight with them. I, 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 my parents used to call us kapokainkis. That means little chickens that fight each other. We loved each other, but we had differences because of his um, background. He wanted the masses. I said, you must get saved people to pray. He said, there's nobody who's saved in this place. And so we had this nice big fight. And then afterwards, this was late at night. We drove out there. And we were sitting in the car in front of these houses, and, and I said sorry, and, and Glenn said sorry, and we prayed about it and said, sorry, God, that we fought, and then please lead us to know who to pray with. And so we had no leading because there was no peace and there was no verse, and we figured, well, then all we can do is go to the house in front of us. So we went up to the door, we knocked on the door, and the person who answered was this lady. And she had totally been changed. <laughs> she was a new creature. Her face was shining. And she said, please come in to both of us. And uh, she told me her story. She said, you were walking past the little children one day. And as you walked past, you, you, you pointed at me and you just said these words. You said, I know where I'm going if I die today. And then you walked on. And she said, something struck my heart at that moment. Not only did I know and I was watching you because I had this dream that two white people would come and help me out of my problems, but 
Um, the second thing is, I didn't know where I was going when I died, and you had such certainty, and you just said this randomly that it struck my heart, and I could not let it go away from me. The Holy Spirit was just working in my life. And so I went to the pastor that I went to every weekend, and I asked him, and I said, listen, these guys came, and they said, you can know where you're going when you die. And the pastor said, well, you know, you're a good Christian. You come to church every Sunday, so I think that's uh, you fine. Don't, you don't have to worry about these white people. And she said, now this, she's telling the story to us with this glowing face. She said, you know, that's what the pastor said. So I went to my knees at home and I said, God, the pastor says I'm perfectly fine. But what do you say? <laughs> and, and amazingly, she sought God and she met with God through Jesus Christ and she was a new creature. And she knew one person that lived within miles that was also a Christian. And we had gone to the, without any feelings, without any peace, we'd gone to the one person who was now saved in this place to start a prayer meeting. <clears throat> At any rate, we started to pray and we prayed and she fasted and she would tell everybody, you can't be good without God. <laughs> she had such a, a, a zeal. She would fast on her own for days for the souls of men. But for two years, we labored there and we didn't see one more soul saved. And I left for a few years. And I came back, and I remember we used to, for free, hire a hall that was like a communal hall at that stage, and I always had to go to the head guy of this little village, and I used to say to him, can I please have the keys to the hall so we can hold a meeting? This is in the first two years, and every time I went there, he had such hatred towards white people and outsiders that he would literally look at me with disdain, and he said, you can come in. And then he wouldn't say anything, and he'd get the key, and he'd think about it, and he'd say, you can have the key, and then he would walk away. He had utter hatred in his eyes. And so I came back after a few years, and I was going from door to door, and I said, the people seem to be different. I came to this person, and he was just shining. He was bubbling over, and I said, what's, there's something changed in your life. He said, yes, I met with Jesus Christ. He changed my life. And there's a whole lot of us. There was a revival that broke out. And I'm like, that's nice. <laughs> God saved more people at that place through the prayers of that woman than through the two years which we labored there. And so I'd like to today, we're going to pray as I said, but I'd like to talk today about the source of revival. That's the title and the theme of the sermon is Jesus, our life. And we're going to get practical later, but Jesus, our life is everywhere, Okay. And I'll explain, I'm not talking about like New Age or, or Hinduism everywhere. We're going to understand what that means from the scriptures very soon. Jesus, our life is everywhere. So before we, uh, one or two illustrations, before we read John 4, let's pray. Dear Father, I just want to thank you so much for Jesus Christ, who is as a person able to change our lives, who came to set the captives free, to give sight to the blind and to heal the brokenhearted. Dear Father, that's what he came to do and that's what he's able to do. But not only that, he is everywhere and, and help us to understand that and how he's the source of revival and what that means practically, dear Father, to us as individuals and as we minister to others, dear Father. I ask that you would work, that you would lift up Jesus Christ today and, and, and that Father, you would work in the hearts of men. And I pray this in Jesus Christ's name, my dear Lord and Savior. Amen. So I don't know how many of you have the name, uh, names like Deal Moody and George Whitfield and John Wesley and Assel Nettleton and, and George... Uh, um, uh, uh, sorry, I was about to say Donald Trump by mistake. <laughs> 
Uh, but you've got Charles Finney and you've got David Brandon, all these different people. They were famous in history. Uh, but Charles Finney was, was a wonderful man who also had some weird things. Uh, but there was a day that he got saved before God used him in wonderful revivals. And that day was when he went to a forest. And in this forest, there was a spot that he found. And obviously, he was a lawyer and very analytical and had to think through things. And even as he went through the Bible and got convicted, because in those days, there was a lot of Bible verses as you learned to be a lawyer, um, he, he came to the point where he really wanted to see God and he was under conviction. And so he went to this forest and he came to the spot in the forest. We don't know exactly where it is. And he knelt down and he sought God. I don't know if it was for three hours or something or two hours. And after seeking God and calling out to God, there was just a moment where God came into his life, it seems, to Jesus Christ. And in his experience, he had divine love flowing through his body. Uh, just in a phenomenal way. D.L. Moody had the same experience after salvation. And I don't know exactly what that was or how it worked, but, but he believed he was saved then. So he stood up and he went back and he started testifying of what happened to him in the woods. <laughs> and, and you know what happens when you testify of what happened in the woods? Uh, people go to the woods to find the same experience. And this really happened. People <laughs> in the 1800s, they went and they looked they wondered, where did Charles Finney, uh, where was he in the wood? Where's the spiritual spot where you can meet with God? And so they were so desperate, they'd go through the woods and find a spot where someone would kneel, and they'd kneel down and they'd pray for hours to try and have the same experience that Charles Finney had in the same place. And of course, that's stupid, <laughs> but that's what some people do. You know, there's an organization in South Africa, I'm not going to mention the name, but about 60 years back, they had a true revival. Tens of thousands of people among the Zulu tribes were saved. And they had prayed through the night, and they had sought God as a group. And this little group of people, Germans mostly, and as they sought God, they confessed their sins and made right with God. And that which the Bible and the Holy Spirit showed them as wrong in their lives. And eventually God just came, and thousands of people were radically swept into the kingdom. Witch doctors were saved and saved for good. And, and all over, people's lives were just changing in a wonderful way. And so people across South Africa started to hear about this. Thousands of ministers traveled across the country to see what was happening in this place where God was working in KwaZulu-Natal near Dundee. At any rate, there was a friend of mine who, who I've been to this place years later, but there was a friend of mine, and uh, he uh, in his 90s now, but when he was younger, about 50 years back or 60 years back when this revival broke out, he would travel several hours every weekend to go and listen to the messages at this place. They actually have over 700 messages a year in one little place with a hall of 10,000 people, uh, for 10,000 people, and I've met many godly people from there. But at any rate, he used to go every weekend traveling hours to go to the place where God was working. And, and it was wonderful. But then after a few years, he traveled he lived in a different part of the country, and he stopped going to this place. But oh, he was a man of God, and I remember visiting him many times, a sweet, old, godly, humble man who prayed, who sought God, who loved the Bible. And after about 40 years, he decided, this is what he told me, to go back to this place. So he got in his car, and it was about 20 hours drive, and so he went through these different areas, and he got to this place where the revival had been and still God worked in a mighty way. 
but not like the revival days. And he came there, and this one man looked at him and said, Wilry, is that you? He said, yes, it's Wilry. <laughs> Wilry Williams. <laughs> and uh, he had a squeaky voice. I don't know how to do that. but The whole family had squeaky voices. Wilry, actually, or something like that. And he said, Wilry, you haven't been here in over 40 years? He said, yeah, I haven't been here in 40 years. It's so nice to be back. He said, you still walk with God? <laughs> and you haven't been here? And the man was totally shocked because they, over the years, had come to the conclusion that like many cults in America, if you're not coming to our place and where we are and where God is working through us, then you can't experience God. And so where God worked in a mighty revival, it became into something of half a revival, half a cult today. Because you can only experience God where he is working. You know, I love, and we mentioned the woman at the well in John chapter 4. I'd like to look at that a little bit more carefully tonight. Let's go to John chapter 4. And we have here the reasoning of a woman. She's thinking to herself and she's talking to Jesus and she's got some questions that are quite interesting, especially in light of what we've been saying. John 4 verse 20 says these words. She's talking to Jesus, obviously. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain and ye say that in Jerusalem is the place to worship where men ought to worship. You know what she was saying? <laughs> Obviously, the Samaritans had, in the last 400 years, a few hundred years before, they'd built a temple <laughs> in the mountains because they thought that was where the temple was supposed to be. And they looked at the Jews <laughs> over 100 miles away, and they said, well, they believe that you're supposed, that's where you meet with God. That's where your sins are forgiven. That's where you can have a relationship with God in that place. But our fathers say it's in this place and that temple had been destroyed. And so in those mountains in the time of Jesus, there was only the rubble of the temple that used to be there of the Samaritans. And they would go into the mountains to try to find God in the stones of the broken down temple. And so she said, you know, Jesus, our, she didn't say Jesus, but our fathers worship in this mountain and you say that in Jerusalem is the place to worship. Where's the place that I can meet God, basically? And Jesus said unto her, woman, believe me, the hour cometh and now is, sorry, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. It's not going to be about that place or this place. You worship, you know not what. We know what we worship, speaking of the Jews, for salvation is of the Jews. That's very true. If you haven't been saved by a Jew, you haven't been saved because Jesus was a Jew. I mean, that's pretty obvious. <laughs> and then he says these words, But the hour cometh and now is when the true worshippers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship him. So you're not going to worship Jerusalem. You're not going to worship at this mountain. But anywhere in the world you're going to worship, true worshippers are going to worship God in spirit and in truth. All over. That's what Jesus is implying. <laughs> it's not about being at the temple in Jerusalem. You don't have to be at this synagogue or that synagogue or that place that had revival, wherever it is. <laughs> All that matters is that you're in the Spirit. Uh, um, and then we have an amazing promise. Obviously, we know that she had five husbands. We've mentioned this before. You guys know it. She was with the, the sixth man who was not her husband. And, and this verse we've quoted this morning Umnash, remember Umnash got saved. John 4 verse 10, Jesus answered and said unto her, If you knew the gift of God, and who it is that saith thee, 
give me to drink. Thou would have asked him and he would have given thee living streams. Two simple things. If you just knew this, who is speaking to you? You don't have to be at Jerusalem at the temple. You don't have to be in this mountain. All you got to know if you're humbled over your sin is who's speaking to you. It could be anywhere. Okay? <clears throat> Far from the center of Jew- Jewish worship, she found life in Jesus Christ. And then we read on, verse 13 and 14. Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of the, this water shall thirst again, but whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst again, but the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. I hope I'm not talking too fast. Some people don't understand what I'm preaching, and then that's why they don't mind what I say. <clears throat> At any rate, <clears throat> I love this song that we all know. We're feeding on the living bread. We're drinking at the fountainhead. And whoso drinketh, Jesus said, shall never thirst again. What? You know, always just the women and the men singing, or at least at good churches. What? Never thirst again? Yes, never thirst again. No, never thirst again. What? Never thirst again. No, never thirst again. And whoso drinketh, Jesus said, shall never thirst again. I love that. You thirst for water again, but you don't thirst for righteousness because in the sense that you have, you are right with God through Jesus Christ. So yeah, that was interesting. Jesus says you don't have to be at the temple, you don't have to be in this mountain, there's going to be people all over basically who worship me and know me, that worship me in spirit and truth. Now let's go a little bit further, let's go 781 miles uh, northwest by um, uh, west, and we're going to move away from Jerusalem, like I said, 781 miles, and we're going to be, come to Mars Hill in Athens. And Paul, in the book of Acts, far away from Jerusalem, far away from the temple, far away from the hills of Samaria, Paul is standing there amidst idols. And he says the most amazing words to these heathen. Let's read it together. Acts 17, verse 26 and 27. Phenomenal words, amazing words, life-changing words. <laughs> it says there in Acts chapter 17, 26, And hath, that's God, hath made of one blood all nations of men, for to dwell on all the face of the earth, and have determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation. God has made all people, we have one blood from Adam, and, uh, but he's decided where we all stay. And then he says these words. If you, forget, if you forget everything that I say tonight, remember these words. That they should seek the Lord. If happily they feel after him and find him. And now listen to these words. Just listen to it. It's so awesome. <laughs> Though he be not far from every one of us. There in the midst of idols, demonic idols according to the Old Testament, Paul's preaching to people and he says, by the way, Jesus, he's not far from every single one of us. You don't have to be in the temple of Jerusalem. You don't have to be in the mountains of Samaria. 
781 miles away, you can be in the midst of idols. And guess what? If, you, if, if a happy thing happens, if the Holy Spirit starts to work in your life and you start to seek after God, guess what? You don't have to travel all the way to Jerusalem or to some mission station in South Africa or even to a church building. In the midst of idols, God is not far. Jesus is not far from every one of us. And you can meet with God right here between these idols because he's greater than these idols. You don't have to destroy them first and then meet with God. You know, at, at Bible college, there was this very nice young person, and he had a cousin. This is when I was at Bible college. And he had a cousin, and she was a very beautiful girl. Uh, but unfortunately, she was a worldly girl, and she went to drunken parties. She slept around. She took drugs. And he was this young student that I was with. He was very broken over her. But she had a godly grandmother and aunt, and she was prayed for. God, really, her family wept through the nights and sought God concerning this girl. And so as she was just enjoying herself on drugs and just in the midst of profanity and swear words and in parties where everybody was getting drunk, like I said, and doing evil thing between boys and girls, there came a moment, now this is amazing, where God came down in the middle of the party while everybody was drunk, and she came on a conviction suddenly from nowhere. And she was in this party and she was so on a conviction, she realized that she had sinned against God Almighty, that she deserved hell for eternity, and that she had to seek Jesus. And I don't know what you do when you're in the middle of a party. There's no pastor to go to. And so she ran and she ran in the building and she found the restroom and she went to a toilet, a little room with a toilet and she shut the door behind her. She could hear the blaring music as, as the rock music was just going. And she heard her friends swearing and doing evil things. And She knelt down on the floor and she called out to Jesus. She was humbled over her sin and she called out to Jesus and said, Jesus, please save me. And amazingly, in one moment, she found some, a verse to be true. In the midst of that party, in the midst of the drunkenness, in the midst of the drugs, in the midst of the sleeping around, she found that God is not far from every one of us. Because in one moment, Jesus saved her in the midst of those idols and sin. In Ephesians 2, verse 12 to 17, she went to Bible college, by the way. I remember there. She was a wonderful student. She loves souls. A wonderful example. Ephesians 2, verse 12 to 17, that at that time you were without Christ, talking of Gentiles, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Verse 13, but now in Christ, ye who sometime were afar off, not just physically afar off, but spiritually afar off, are made nigh by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace, who hath made both one, that's Jesus Christ, and hath broken down the middle wall of petition between us, which is the law. And then verse 17, and came and preached peace to you who were far off and to those who were near. <laughs> Gentiles in the middle of Mars Hill, peace is preached unto you through Jesus Christ, who is living water, who is a deliverer, who sets people free, who is your righteousness, and oh, praise God, he's not only is all these things, but he is very near to all of us. Though you're in the midst of drunkenness, you can get saved right there. 
There was a person in South Africa, he's, I knew him very well, and his brother, he's, they both got saved, uh, Peter. And uh, he loved my dad. He wanted to be like my dad. So after he got saved, he, he got a job at a radio station, and he was very lazy in the sense that he got a job that all he had to do is every hour or so he switched a little <laughs> switch and, and, and changed something that was happening at the radio station. The, the reason why he chose that job it's because he heard my dad and he wanted to memorize scripture. So he got money for putting the switch up and down and he memorized scripture like crazy. I mean, he knew so many chapters all over the Bible. He just wanted to do this. And then later on, he prayed. He prayed daily and said, God, give me an opportunity to preach in the church that I was once part of, the Dutch Reformed Church, 3,000 churches across South Africa. Open the door to the Dutch Reformed Church. Every day he cried out and said, God, for years, open that door to me. And then one day God started to open the door to him and he preached in towns where there was only 150 people in the church and within a day or two, there were 600 to 1,000 people, sometimes the whole town coming together. They, he preached for up to three hours a night, Young children, the elders were weeping in tears. And I know people who are saved till this day and on fire who were in those meetings. But that's not where it started. If you read the stories of the revivalists and you, you see what, he, what happened to him, it's exactly the same. But it started years back when, when he was the son of an unsaved minister in the Dutch Reformed Church. And this unsaved minister, when he was about five years old, his wife died, my friend's mother. And the minister remarried someone else. And his second wife did not want those children. She literally hated them. And so at five or six years old, that dad turned against his first children totally, chucked them out on the street because... Of this second woman. And I don't want to tell you all the stories of the evil that he did in his bitterness, but in bitterness against his father and against this woman, he eventually, as a teenager later, got involved in Satanism, he and his brother, drugs, which is less than Satanism, and ultimately speaking, everything evil that you can ever think of. He was cruel. And one day, I remember sitting with him many times, but one day he, I've seen people saved when this guy just prayed. But I remember he told me his testimony. He said, Roy, I was at a drunken party in my early 20s, and I remember being on the third floor or something of a very high building, and, and, and I was there with my friends, and we were all getting drunk, and I was taking drugs, and the demons were, it was wonderfully said in a sense, for as, a, as a Satanist, the demons were flying about our heads and, and everywhere, and it was just a nice party, and then suddenly this demon came to me and said, go to the edge of the veranda in South Africa. I don't know what that's, in, do you have verandas? I don't know, like a place just outside where you can stand at the edge of the building. Anyway, he came there. And he stood at the edge of that building, looking down those few stories, and, and the voice said to him, and he couldn't go against this voice, the voice said to him, you're now going to jump off and you're going to die. And he found he could not stop himself. This, this thing just pushed him forward and made him 
I start to get ready to commit suicide. And as he stood there, and I, I don't know if this is real or not, you can have hallucinations, but he looked down as, as if he saw the pits of hell open up beneath them. And he saw down there the flames of hell. I don't know what he saw. And this voice was saying to him, you're going to jump now. And as he sat there, he didn't want to jump, stood there. He didn't want to jump. He didn't want to go into those flames for eternity. And then a terrifying thing happened. He said to me, Roy, as I was standing there and I couldn't help but go forward step by step to jump to my death and eternal damnation in hell, suddenly I realized I wanted to get out of this, but I could not remember the one name that my mommy before she died used to teach me, the one name under heaven whereby a man might be saved, the name of Jesus Christ. And so standing up there, about to jump, I was getting ready and I was about to jump and suddenly I remembered the name that my mother taught me. It was the name of Jesus. And I called out and I said, Jesus, please save me. And in one moment, in the midst of a drunken party with drugs all around and and Satan worshippers, he found a certain verse to be true in the the Bible. A verse that Paul said, (laughs) He's not far from every one of us. Because right there, he was set free. Right there, he was a new person. Right there, he was a child of God. Right there, the drugs were gone, and he was a Christian. It was absolutely wonderful. And God used him. The Pharisees in the Scripture, I've, I've read this verse before, but... Let's look at it from another angle. John 5, verse 39 and 40 says, Jesus says to the Pharisees, Search the scriptures, from them you think you have eternal life. Now, I said this morning, sometime, or this afternoon, uh, <coughs> I said, or just this morning, uh, that we have, we, <coughs> the scriptures have the ability to give us um, <coughs> the revelation of salvation. And we can basically understand and see Jesus Christ in Scripture. But you can read through the Bible 29 times and not get saved. And, and he says these words, And you will not come to me that you might have life. You read the Scriptures because you think that makes you spiritual. And you read them again and again and again. But you don't come to the person revealed in Scripture, which is me, Jesus Christ. Now, this is just the simple thing I'd like to say. There's no thing. There's no place and there's no person outside of Jesus that can give you life. There's no thing, not even the Bible, there's no place, not even the midst of revival. There's no person that can give you life, but anywhere, even in the midst of a drunken party, and you just must not stay in the midst of the drunken party, (laughs) Jesus can give you life. And he is everywhere. (laughs) He's not far from every one of us. There's an old saying, a sinner seeking God and a God seeking sinner cannot miss. And I just add, if they know just two simple things, the gift of God and who it is that's speaking to them, Jesus Christ. I told you, I told you this morning about Um Nas and I told you how those of you who are here, how when he was young, he, he saw an Egg Jesus Christ 
And not only did he see Jesus Christ in this person, but he wanted to have the same thing that he had a relationship with God. And though he had a lot of religion, he just could not find Jesus by doing things. And so he read the scriptures, which can make you wise unto salvation. They can't save you, but they can make you wise unto salvation. And as he was reading the Bible, he came to John 4. I mentioned this this morning. And he read there, if you knew the gift of God and who it is to speak it to thee, then you would have asked and I would have given you living streams. And um, I mentioned how his flesh struggled against that. But I also mentioned there came a point when he said, well, <laughs> it doesn't cost me anything to, to try this. And he said to God, I don't understand. I don't know if this is, uh, uh, he didn't even say the right words, but he just said, I'm going to ask. And in a moment, he found that verse to be true under a blanket that he didn't have to be in a church where Keith Daniel was preaching or Don Davis or, or some other person. He didn't have to be in the midst of revival. But there under his blanket, Jesus was not far from every one of us. But now I'd like to turn it from sinners to Christians. And let's read together in John chapter 15, verse 5, if we can. John chapter 15, verse 5. Jesus says, and of course my dad loved John chapter 15, Andrew Murray wrote two books on John chapter 15, The Secret of the Vine and Abide in Me. And of course, there's other guys who've done that too, modern guys. But uh, I hope you love John chapter 15. <laughs> it's a wonderful, wonderful section of Scripture. I am the vine, Jesus, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. Without me ye can do nothing. Now, sometimes I wonder when I see people who really seem to start off with the fruit of one John in their life, and they set free from drugs and sin and whatever, or religion, and they made a life. But over time, it seems as if they don't have this written across their life, that they bear much fruit. Uh, they seem to have life, but they don't seem to have it more abundantly, shall we say. And in essence, they're a bit like the false prophets who in 2 Peter 2 verse 17, we read, these are wells without water. And uh, that's a horrible thing to come to. <laughs> but some Christians look like they, that picture too. And I ask the question, why? Now, there can be many reasons, but I'd like to illustrate from the Bible and from one person that I know an example of why many Christians are this way especially those who are seeking personal revival. There was a girl, and this girl in South Africa came from a conservative home that won fire for God, that were prayer warriors, that loved Jesus, that were soul winners, and they had discipline for their children, and they brought them up uh, uh, reading the Bible to them and telling them about salvation. And their one daughter was their pride and joy in a sense because she woke up at 4 o'clock in the morning to have her quiet time as a teenager. She used to witness to every single soul that she possibly could. I remember coming to there when she seemed to be on fire and she was literally witnessing to the Jews and this and that and whatever. It was amazing. And she was her mother's darling. That's what she was. Now, a few years later, what she became was a drunkard, loose, sleeping around, and I remember coming to that house and hearing through the night her mother weeping over this girl who used to have a quiet time at four o'clock in the morning, used to witness, and used to seemingly stand up for God. And we have a question, why? 
Why did she become like this when once she was her mother's darling and conservative and seemed to have something of a testimony? Well, apart from the fact that she might not have been saved, here's a few reasons that I try to gather as I cried over her because I love that family. She built her life around a boy. It was her security. And she felt that God had told her that this boy would marry her one day. And then one day she found out that he wasn't interested. (laughs) And she blamed God. Secondly, she was bitter because of accusations. She went to Bible college and at Bible college people falsely accused her, it turned out later, of certain things and pretty bad things and... Uh, she basically was bitter at God because of these accusations against her. Thirdly, her parents failed. Now, I remember at one camp, as I said, I knew the family very well. I I came to this camp, and she was just weeping, and and she told me that if parents have been fighting and having problems in their marriage recently, uh, not before, and she said, I blame myself, I hate myself because of this. And then fourthly, she failed deeply in sin. She did evil sin. As I said, she went to parties, she got drunk, she slept around. And she could not forgive herself. Now I'd like to give answers to each one of these. Because no matter how you read in your Bible or many other things, it's possible that one day you're going to start to think that you have the right to be bitter against God because of things like this. So many conservatives are bitter against God Because there's a boy that didn't marry them or a guy that didn't marry them. Sorry, a boy or a girl that didn't marry them. Bitterness and accusations. Parents that failed, they blame themselves in deep failure and sin. And they cannot forgive themselves or think that God would ever restore them like before. So here's some answers. Let's start with the first one. She built her life around a boy. Now in the Bible, this is very dangerous by the way for boys or girls. (laughs) In the Bible, it says in Ephesians 2 verse 20 that Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone. And I can't emphasize this more. I've been at so many churches over the last 20 years in America where it seems the young people, I don't know if they're all saved, obviously not, but some of them, and, 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 and the church seems to be on fire for God and the young people are going out and witnessing and they're praying for hours and even organizing prayer meetings through the night. And then I come there years later and there's been a church split and I sit down with the young people as they go to drunken parties and they do evil things and they say to me, the pastor ran away with the young woman and therefore I will not follow God. And what I've said to many of these young people is simply this. When you got saved, if you got saved, when you tried to get saved, did you say to God, I'm going to follow you if my pastor follows God, if my church does not split, if my parents love each other, or did you say, I'll follow you, Jesus, and I hope these other things happen too? <laughs> did you follow Jesus if? <laughs> Do you know how many thousands of young people in conservative churches, when the split comes, after 10 years of seemingly following God, then you see the ones. And I don't say it's easy. I weep with them. I've wept through the nights over pastors that have done evil things. My wife's father was a pastor. And my wife's father, I wept with my wife through the night when he ran away with the young woman. But my wife did not say, I blame God. (laughs) Though she wept. She followed Jesus before she followed her father. 
There's a guy in South Africa, his name, I'm not going to mention his name actually. One of the godliest men I know. <laughs> but he, when he was younger, about 30 years back, he's in his, he's quite old, <laughs> not old, but he's older now. And about 30 years back, he was wanting to get married. That's what guys do, it seems, when they get to 20 or 18 or 17 or something. And he was looking around and, and wondering, where's a godly girl to marry? And he walked into a mission station bookstore. And there was a girl that had been through Bible college. She was the daughter of a very godly minister. I, I preached in his church, whose brother is a very godly man. I preached in his church. I love them both till today. And she was there with her lovely hair that was conservative and this beautiful conservative dress. And she was smiling there. And, and, and she was talking about the books. And he said his legs started to shake as he looked at this girl. And he went to the Bible and very soon he had peace and a verse that he should marry her. And so he pursued her and asked the parents and they were very happy that uh, they should get married. At any rate, after they got married, something strange happened. She almost immediately got CDs in those days. Or, or I don't know if it was records or what it was, but she got, uh, I think it was CDs by that time, and, and, and she would put it in her uh, player and it would be swear words and evil songs about sensual evil things. And he looked at her and he said, but where did this come from? And then she started wearing a mini dress and he said, but where did this come from? And she said, well, all these years I've been in my father's house and he had all these rules and I went to Bible college and I smiled at everybody and now I want to be free from these rules and, 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 and now I'm married, I'm going to just give me a time to be myself. And he wept over her because he had no idea what he married. To this day, the father and the brother are godly people, but she's not. And then she said, I want to leave you. He came to my dad and he wept. I've loved him through the years. I told him I can be his son. <laughs> she left him and then he went to her and said, did you leave or did God tell you to leave or was it you? Now obviously he knew it wasn't God. But she felt a little convicted, so after divorcing him, she came back to him and said, okay, I'll be married for you. And then she decided to divorce him again. And then she threw herself with her body at another man. I remember once it was, she had a sense of humor. She said, my first husband and my second husband were very similar. Do you know what I appreciate about him? He, he, this man, he never married again, it's true, but he didn't blame God. He wept through the nights. He grieved over this woman. He said, I wish I'd got to know her. I wish I'd spent time to know who she was, not just have a prayer and a verse and some peace. Because sometimes that works and sometimes that doesn't work. Sometimes you get lucky and you get a godly person that way and sometimes you don't. And it wasn't just the method. It wasn't just you. It was the fact that you never got to know who the person really was. But I appreciate the fact that he didn't follow Jesus if my wife doesn't turn against me. Job, when his wife was telling him to curse God and die, after that he said, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. 
Imagine you had three people in a row. And I'm in the middle. And, and you've got a guy, on the, obviously, on the right side and the left side. And the guy on the right side smacks me in the shoulder, like really punches. And I turn to the guy on the left and I smack him in the face. And I said, that's because that guy smacked me. Uh, number one, I shouldn't smack him back. But number two, even more, I shouldn't smack the guy to the left of me. Am I right? <laughs> I mean, non-resistant people don't smack back. But even... Baptists don't smack the guy on the other side. <laughs> and we laugh at that and we think it's stupid. But you know how many young people and older people do that to God? Man hurts them and they blame who? The guy on the other side. They blame God. Jesus Christ is, you may have to think about this for very seriously, young people and old people. If, if so many churches for 10, 15 years, the young people as they grow older seem to be on fire for God and only when the church splits of them start to rebel, then was, is, and right now in your life, could it be that you seem to be on fire for God, that Jesus Christ is not your cornerstone, that you didn't follow Jesus but you follow Jesus if my pastor does not fail and if my church does not split and if my parents love each other. Number two, bitterness at accusations. Jesus, and this is very important, when, you think, when people accuse you of things, it's not easy. I've been accused of some pretty bad things in my life and luckily it didn't ruin my ministry yet. But false accusations. But you have to realize that Jesus himself was accused falsely. In fact, he was called satanic. He was called a wine-bibber. Uh, he was accused of being gluttonous, that he would destroy the temple, that he was a great sinner. And in retrospect, looking back, now people accuse him of being an adulterer. And in 2 Corinthians 1 verse 7 and 1 verse 5, we, say that we, are, we see that we are partakers of the sufferings of Christ. And one of the sufferings of Christ was that he was falsely accused. We're not alone in this. <laughs> Jesus himself was falsely accused. In South Africa, there was a minister. He's dead now of cancer. He's the reason I went to preach in Netherlands. They got in Netherlands, by the way, Paul Washer, and they got Zach Poonen, and they got many famous preachers to come preach there. No revival broke out, but this this farmer preacher from South Africa went to preach there and he would, before he came to a town, he would pray through the nights for three weeks. He'd get one prayer warrior and they would pray through the day and through the night. He wouldn't literally sleep. Afterwards, he'd sleep after he'd been in a town. And towns where they'd never had someone saved in 20, 30 years, hundreds would get radically saved through this precious man who was a great friend of my dad, old Etienne Moritz. But even though God in South Africa and other countries used him, and mighty thousands were brought into the kingdom, the revival in the Netherlands and the Bible Belt, it wasn't through Zach Poonin, it wasn't through Paul Washer that went and preached there, it was through this young, uh, this person from South Africa who hardly anybody knew but loved Jesus and knew God with all his heart. Now, <clears throat> he, uh, about 30 years back in the 1980s, there was a magazine uh, called the Heisgenoot, U Magazine in South Africa, the English version. And they would look for sensational stories. And what happened is he would be, he was so dynamic and so filled with the spirit that literally people would be set free all over. And he reached out to Satanists and a lot of Satanists got set free and the other Satanists were angry. And so a husband and wife that were Satanists pretended to seek help from him because all the others were being set free. 
And the woman lied and said that he abused me and actually sent the letter to this magazine and sat down with them later and gave them the whole story. And the reason we know it's not true is because years later, the husband came out and said, my conscience has been gnawing and killing me for years because me and my wife so hated this man that we lied about him. He never did anything wrong. But you know what happened when it was on the front pages of the newspapers across the country after that big magazine that goes across the country said this on the front page? Well, first of all, a lot of Christians believed it. He had a church that had hundreds of people that were praying through the nights. God had come in revival. But when this was on the front page of the newspapers and Heiskanoet, the new magazine, most of the people in the church believed it and they left. He had a co-pastor and the co-pastor said, if this is what Christians, if Christians can be so gullible, then I don't want to be a minister. So he left the ministry. Etienne said, God, you can take me everywhere you want to take me. I've still got Jesus. And he went as a revivalist who was used to God across our country. Nobody wanted him at that stage because they didn't know it wasn't the truth yet. And he went to a little poor Bible college in the hills. And he preached to very poor people. Though he used to be famous. And God came in revival among those Africans. I went to that place. When his son died, they asked me to preach in his place because he could not come when his son was in an accident. And I came to that place. You could drip. You could literally uh, 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 drop a pin and you would hear it because there was such intensity as they prayed through the nights and they sought God. It was wonderful, the presence of God. But you know what I love about that guy? He didn't blame God. And he said to me, he said, Roy, many of the revivals that happened later would not have happened if God did not strip me through what I went through there. Number three, so firstly, um, she built her life around a boy, and secondly, she had bitterness at accusations. We should build our lives around Christ and then other things, and we should remember Jesus Christ himself was accused. Uh, But thirdly, (coughs) excuse me, um, <clears throat> there was the parents, of the, uh, there was deep failure in sin. I'm, I'm, I'm shopping it around slightly. There was deep failure in sin, and she could not forgive herself. And this is when I love to go to, to Luke chapter 7. We've been there before, and you have a woman, and this woman is a sinner, and she's deeply in sin. And you remember the song that I quoted to you, one day a woman came to him and kissed the Savior's feet. She knew that she had met the one who a sinner's need could meet. And Jesus said, without her saying any words, thy sins which are many are forgiven thee. Jesus came to restore people who have deeply sinned. There was another woman. There was quite a few of them. How many? There was a lot of Marys in the Bible. The mother of Mary, Martha and Mary, Mary Magdalene. (coughs) And uh, Mary Magdalene was deeply in sin. And she was possessed of seven devils, Mark 16 verse 9 and Luke 8 verse 2. And the beautiful thing about this is as a woman that was possessed of seven devils, what did Jesus, who was Jesus? He was the one, according to Luke chapter 4 verse 18, who came. He said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me, quoting, I believe from Isaiah, because he had anointed me to preach the gospel to who? The poor. 
He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. Oh boy, he does that sometimes. To preach deliverance to the captives and the recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised. You see, when Jesus said, if you know the gift of God, listen, and who it is that is speaking to you, not just that my name is Jesus, but I'm the one who came to set the captive free. I'm the one who came to give sight to the blind, to heal the broken horn. Do you know who it is that's speaking to you? I'm not just Jesus. I'm the Jesus who came to do all these things, who's able to do all these things, who can set you free, who wants to set you free, who's loved. And well, the wonderful thing is not only is all these things, he is all these things and he's not very far from you right now. <laughs> you could be in the middle of a drunken party and he's not far from you if happily you seek after him. You know, one of the biggest problems is people don't know who Jesus is. Even Christians and churches don't know who Jesus is. Oh, he can never restore me like I used to be when I really followed God. Do you know who Jesus is? Do you know how much he loves you? Do you know how powerful he is? Do you know what he can do? Jesus answered and said, If thou knewest the gift of God and who it is that is speaking to you, that saith to thee, give me to drink, then you would have asked. You would have asked pretty fast because he is the fountain of living water. He, he made all that water in that ocean that you're going swimming. He made everything. He can, he, listen, he's the source of it all. Do you know who you're speaking to? I can do something for you if you just knew who I am. Do you know how restored Mary was? Mary Magdalene. You know, Mary Magdalene, unlike most of the disciples, she was there at the cross at Calvary. And you ask the question, who was one of the first to see the stone rolled away? It was Mary. <laughs> Between all the other Marys, she was there. <laughs> who was the first to see Jesus when he rose again? Was it some pure person who had never sinned, who had never slept around, who had never done evil deep things? No, it was Mary who was set free from seven demons. She was the one God chose to even take the message with others to the disciples and say he is risen. You think God couldn't trust her because of her past? When Jesus restores, my friend, he restores. <laughs> you think God won't allow you to sit at his feet because you failed as a Christian even? Let me tell you, if you knew the gift of God and he's everywhere, what he says to you, and just know this, if happily you might feel after him and find him, though he be not far from every one of us, in the midst of idols, in the midst of a drunken party, in the midst of demons flying around your head, telling you to jump to your death into hell, there Jesus is not far from you, as you call him the one name in heaven and earth that can save you, because of the person behind that name. Well, what is one of the other things? She blamed herself for her parents. A lot of young people do this. Now, sometimes you are slightly to blame for what your parents do, and then you have to find forgiveness with God and say sorry to them, and if they forgive you or not, that's their fault. Uh, you just do your part. But many times people blame themselves for their parents, and they are not the blame. And then they go ahead and they blame God. Just remember, your parents have a free will. Cain killed Abel. God did not kill Abel. 
But if you really wonder why, why on earth would God allow my parents to be so cruel to me? Let me ask you a question. Do you know how cruel God was to his own son for our sakes? Jesus Christ himself suffered from his daddy. In Isaiah 53 verse 10, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. Matthew 27 verse 4 be, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? As he said, stood in the place of sinners. He didn't become sinful, but he stood in the place of sinners. He knew no sin became sin that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And it pleased God to bruise his own son as punishment for our sins. And then we read the words Hebrews in, in Hebrews 12, verse 3 and 4. From consider, this is a rebuke. Consider him, Jesus, that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. Now, we often are wearied, but when we reach this state, there's often bitterness towards God. For ye have not yet resisted against blood, striving against sin as Jesus did in Gethsemane. If we did be partakers of the sufferings of Christ, maybe one of those things is that as Christians, our parents might not be that great. Now, his dad was perfect, but he suffered. He knows what we're going through, what it feels to be rejected by your daddy, to feel like he's forsaken you. God knows. He felt that way on Calvary. I'm going to pray, but if we could open up our hymnals, I don't know if someone can play over there, but to number 528. We're talking about personal revival. We're talking about the fact that you don't have to be at the temple or at the revival to experience it, but anywhere, anywhere as a sinner, you can meet Jesus because he's not far from every one of us. And anywhere as a Christian, we can be restored. He restoreth my soul. Through the same Jesus who saved you, because he's not far from every one of us. Do you know who he is? Dear Father, thank you that Jesus Christ is the one who came, able, ready, willing to set the captive free, to preach the gospel before that to the poor, to heal the brokenhearted and those who are bruised. Father, you came, you came through Jesus Christ to do these things. And Father, you said, if we know the gift of God and we know who is speaking to us, who Jesus is, he's not just a Jew, he's not just a prophet, He's the Messiah who knows every struggle that we've ever had. He knows every sin and the depths of those sins that we've ever done. He knows the things that we've said and thought against God, against our parents, and the things that we've done in the dark that nobody else knows about. He knows the struggles of faith in our heart. He knows all these things. And yet after knowing all these things, he said, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that's speaking to you, you would have asked and I would have given you living streams. 
Father, help us to know who Jesus is and to know this. In the old days, dear Father, when Jesus was walking down on the earth, so many people say, if I was there, then I'd know where to find Jesus. I'd go and I'd find him and say, take away my blindness and let me see. I'd go and I'd sit at the feet of Jesus and I'd say, please, Give me hearing or save me. <laughs> help me with my faith. Oh, Lord, teach me to pray. I believe. Help thou my unbelief. But I don't know where to find Jesus. Is he at a revival somewhere? Is he at a meeting? Is he in a church? Does he only come to places where Keith Daniel preaches or where Don Davis is? And then we read. In Acts, dear Father, where you say in the midst of idols, as you said to that girl in that drunken party, as you said to my friend Peter when the demons were going around his head, you said, happily if they might seek after him, for he is not far, he is not far in the midst of idols from every one of us. He is. And he's there. And oh God, Satan would keep us from this. So simple. Father, help every person sitting here to realize the source of revival as a Christian is to abide in Jesus and he's not far away and you don't have to go to a revival to experience him. He's not far, dear Father. And if we know him, we can rest in who we know and experience those living streams as we believe in him out of our belly shall flow. Rivers of living water. This spake he of the spirit that should be given unto them. Father, oh, lead us in this way. Not through things, not through people that change all the time, but through Jesus Christ, who never changes, who's all powerful, who is love. In Jesus' name, amen. I'd like us to sing tonight, number 528. the blessing now it is the lord once it was the feeling now it is his word once his gift i wanted now the giver own once i sought for healing now himself alone all in all forever Jesus will I sing everything in Jesus and Jesus everything once twice busy planning now it's trustful prayer once twice anxious caring now he has the care once was what I wanted, now what Jesus says. Once was constant asking, now to ceaseless praise. Amen. All in all forever, Jesus will I sing. Everything in Jesus, and Jesus everything. Sing. Once it was my working, his it hence shall be. Amen. Once I tried to use him, now he uses me. Once the power I wanted, now the might.
81 Once for self I labored Now for him alone Let's sing All in all forever Jesus will I sing Everything in Jesus And Jesus everything Once I hoped for Jesus Now I know he's mine Once my lamps were dying Now they brightly shine Once for death I waited now he's coming here And my hopes are anchored deep in the veil Amen All in all forever Jesus will I sing Everything in Jesus And Jesus Amen. Now I'm going to make an. Uh, I'm going to warn you guys. I'm probably going to make an appeal tomorrow, but tonight I'd like to ask you if Jesus spoke to you that you will find a place somewhere in this area, and make right with God. And guess what? He's not far. <laughs> he really isn't. He's not only in the meeting place. He's downstairs. He's in your cabin. He's in your car, and he's where you go tonight. Let's find a place, and you'll find that he's not far from every one of us. If you think your room isn't holy enough, just remember in the midst of drunken parties, people found that verse is absolutely 100% true. It hasn't changed, by the way. Amen. Well, thank you, God, for his word. I found it to be true in my life. Every word he said tonight, I honestly have. Found people that rejected Jesus, and I made up my mind. I told one young girl this morning, I said, when I was about 13, my dad had pretty much backslid, and I seen him smoking cigarettes again after Jesus saved him and drinking after about eight years or so. And I was thinking, how could I make my mom and dad stay together? Mom was threatened to leave my dad. And I thought, prayed the best I knew how, and I told God one thing. This particular thing, I said, God, if none of my mom and dad love you, if nobody else does, God, I'm going to give my whole life to you. And that's what you do. So if any of you are having a hard time, and mom and daddy's bad, or some friend's bad, or some church is bad, remember Jesus Christ. So do what he said. God isn't far from every one of us. Not far. He really isn't. But don't put it off. If he's talking with you, tell him you're going to give everything you know how to him and he'll take you up on it. Welcome to each one of you. Let's. He prayed, but I'm going to just pray and I guess dismiss, not from God, but from the meeting. So, dear God, thank you for your word tonight, the stories that went along with it, the stories in your word, and the stories that are prevalent, happening right now. Many Many heartaches, many situations, but help us, Lord, to turn our eyes upon Jesus. Like it says in that one old hymn, and the things of earth, the things of our situation will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. So, God, I want to thank you. Did you 
held out the gospel tonight through Brother Roy Daniel. So God, thank you. You're going to work, and you are working in each life that will just trust you completely, surrender completely. So thank you, God. Pray that everyone will have a good night's rest, unless you want to convict them, but you watch over them and help them, God, to each one of us. If you want to convict us or you want to deal with us, go ahead and do that, God. I'm not asking anything less. But if you've, somebody's totally surrendered, then the joy after that is so good, too. Thank you, God. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, amen. Tomorrow morning at uh, 1030, if you want to come here at 9 or any time after that and pray till 1030, uh, we'll do that. And then um, tomorrow, after whatever God does, Lord willing, if we'll have some lunch. And then around 2 thereabouts, we'll have any questions you want to ask Brother Roy. God bless you all. You're dismissed from the meeting only, not from the Lord. <laughs>